Hello, James. Welcome back after a long, long time, or at least it feels <laughs> like a really long time to I me since think we've recorded. Yeah, I think it's been uh, a month, something like that. Yeah. And we've hardly, you and I have hardly talked outside of the podcast either. I mean, mm-hmm. a little bit here and there. So I feel like we're we're kind of uh, out of out of touch, out of date with our <laughs> yeah with our lives and yeah. Occasionally, I just think, oh man, I haven't even said anything to Sean in you know, days. <laughs> like, how's he doing? Yeah. So occasionally, I'll try <laughs> to, hey Sean, how are things going? And he's like, oh well, we're whatever. I guess there's been some developments down there. You'll have a well now. Yep. Yep. So that's uh, you won't have to be always complaining about not having water. <laughs> Yeah, we are we are really grateful. Um, yesterday at lunchtime, uh, we, or after lunch, we had a time of, of family prayer. It's, it's something that we it's something that we do oftentimes at lunch. And Walter, who is two, mm-hmm. said that he wanted to pray to thank God that we have water. And so <laughs> it kind of impressed me that even at his age, he has figured out that <laughs> going without water is a bit of a pain. And he's really glad that we have a well that we can keep our house supplied with now. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, definitely one of those things that you don't know how amazing it is to have fresh running water until you don't have it. So yeah, exactly. I know on my on my bike trip, that was one thing that I very much kind of come to the forefront that water was life and so we were constantly thinking okay where's the next water source and if we could get some water that was not out of like a stream or something like that and was cold I mean it was it was a treat it was amazing so yeah I <laughs> uh, have a slight idea of what that's like but definitely not to the extent that what y'all been dealing with for quite a while yeah, after after three years of wrestling with with water, running out of water a lot of a lot of times, and especially during the winter, which we're in the winter right now, weeks at a time we would be without fresh running water. It was a real pain. And interesting, uh, interestingly, the wells that we have, we have one at both of the houses here on the farm. They, um, what I can find, they're both. What do you call them? You didn't say aqu- uh, aquifer, but that's not the word I want. Artisan? Yeah. No, no, not artisan. Um, artesian. Yes, <laughs> they're both artesian, artesian. wells. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means that there's enough water in them that they want to to flow out of their, just with their own pressure. Mm-hmm. And the well here at the, the house where, where we live has a, enough pressure and has the, the well digger said that there were two two veins of water running into the well. So even with a six inch hole, it has enough pressure to flow um, out of that all the time. Mm-hmm. Wow. One thing that I've noticed about the water is that it's sweet. So hmm. I'm trying to do some experimentation with how much coffee to add to try to get my coffee flavor <laughs> to the <laughs> the strength that I want. The first few days that we used the well water for drinking and for making coffee, there were a number of us were noticing that how how the flavor was different. But my sister one morning said something at breakfast about did someone put sugar in her coffee because it didn't taste like she was expecting it to. <laughs> and uh then it clicked that oh that's that's what the difference is in, in the coffee. I had been fiddling with the um amounts of grain to add to try to get a different flavor and it just wasn't settling right Mm -hmm. and then that clicked yeah this water coming out of the well is a lot sweeter than what we were used to coming from the mountain Hmm. interesting i wonder what's causing that maybe somebody is uh slipping some aspartame into your (laughs) into your well or something i imagine there is a lot of um organic matter that is uh seeping down from the valley, <laughs> yeah, with all the cattle and whatnot that is um, uh, making its way into the well. Yeah, I just, no, I hope not. I don't know what's making it sweet, but it would be interesting to have some sort of analysis to figure that out. Yeah, do y'all do any sort of water testing down there? They say that you can get it tested in Lima. I am not sure that there's any place that you can get it tested in Cusco, so we'd have to figure out how to get water. 
to the capital, which would be a bit of a pain, but mm-hmm. it might be doable. Yeah. Now, of course, here in the valley, one of the main problems is nitrates. Mm-hmm. You don't definitely don't want to have high nitrates. It can really be an issue. So anyway, I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I don't think I've ever heard that nitrates make water taste sweet. So I don't know that's the case, but anyway, that's just the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, chemical fertilizers are not really a thing here, mm-hmm. so it's probably not much of a danger yet. Lots of other dangers mm-hmm. <laughs> around, but that's probably not one of them. Yep, that makes sense. Speaking of analysis, what is your latest analysis for your <laughs> for your body? Oh, yeah, so. I guess about three weeks ago, I was just feeling a little bit off. I wasn't sure quite what the deal was. Uh, I just felt kind of tired in the evenings. And by that weekend, I was feeling a good bit worse, just tired. And uh, one evening, I had a fairly high fever. It was about 101 or 102. Um, I didn't feel terrible, but I just didn't feel very good. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned to LaShonda, you know, I'd been doing... In June, one of the things I like to do is is go pick berries with my dad. So we were crashing around in berry brambles and tall grass and just perfect tick territory. And so I mentioned to LaShonda, I wonder if I have Lyme disease. Yeah. <laughs> and she just kind of said, ah, I don't know about that. And, and so I, I decided not to get too worked up, but I was kind of going to keep paying attention. A couple of days later, I got a... Um, not sure. Yeah, the timeline's kind of mixed up in my head, but a couple of days later, I saw a little bit of a, a rash looking thing on my wrist mm-hmm. and it wasn't like a bullseye rash like you think of with Lyme disease. So I just kept watching it and I actually started getting better. I really was feeling pretty much back to normal. But then by the end of that week, so this is the end of about the second week of feeling a little bit off. Actually, the next, uh, the next week, uh, kind of had a really busy day on Monday and I just felt bad. I really did not feel good. I was tired. Didn't feel, I really didn't feel sick. I just felt tired and dizzy. Yeah. Then also in there, I had a problem with a stiff neck. Like my neck muscles felt stiff and there was no reason for them to be stiff really. So I decided, well, oh, and then that, that night I, uh, which yeah, ironically I went and picked berries. That was a Monday evening, last Monday evening. I went and picked berries with my dad and I was sitting down afterward, just kind of resting and felt something on my arm and there's a tick crawling around my arm. (laughs) (laughs) But that night, um, I had a bunch more rashes, just these round rashes about, oh, maybe two or three inches across. They were fairly small, like four of them popped up on my arm all at once. And (laughs) LaShonda looked at those and said, you need to go to the doctor. Yeah. (laughs) So... The next day, uh, as soon as I got to work, I called in to the doctor and got an appointment that afternoon and went to the doctor and well, actually it wasn't a doctor. She was a nurse practitioner and she looked at my arm and immediately said, that is diagnostic of Lyme disease. Let me get you some antibiotics. Okay. So I got put on antibiotics and the next day I actually felt worse, worse than I'd felt up to that point. But then the day after that, this had been a last Thursday, I was feeling substantially better. Anyway, I've been... I would say I'm kind of plateaued as far as how I feel. I still don't feel quite 100%, but I definitely feel better than I did a week or so ago. So I remember, I think it was in a For What It's Worth episode that we talked about Lyme disease a long time ago. But mm-hmm. I uh, I think we were talking mostly about statistics and uh, the likelihood of getting it and then um, the likelihood of it lasting or being chronic maybe Mm -hmm. but i don't recall exactly like what it is what it what what it does to your body Mm -hmm. it's some sort of bacterial infection yeah so it's a it's a bacterium that the tick the tick um has in its body it's not um it's kind of a host for it It's, it's what's called a vector so just like malaria you get that from a mosquito bite it's not from the mosquito it's from the I can't remember what it's called now. It has a Latin name, um, but it's from a protozoa that is that is carried by the mosquito from animal to animal. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way with the tick. It's a bacterium that's carried from animal to animal by the tick, and that just gets it gets into your body and starts causing problems. And yeah, you talked about chronic 
a lot of times that's what people, when you hear Lyme disease, you think like chronic symptoms that don't go away for years or ever. And a lot of times that can happen. There's some debate about chronic Lyme disease and how that some people are diagnosed with that when actually it's some other type of disorder. Problem with Lyme disease is it has symptoms that are so vague, like fatigue, muscle soreness, mm-hmm. uh, dizziness, things like that. So there are other types of like particular autoimmune disorders that can have similar symptoms to Lyme disease. So it's it's really hard to pin down sometimes if you don't catch it early. And I think I got it caught pretty early, and the, the nurse practitioner said like 90% of the people that she treats with these antibiotics, they have a full recovery after the course of antibiotics, and some maybe need a second course to really make sure that you've wiped out. But uh, the prognosis is pretty good, and yeah, so I'm glad for modern medicine and antibiotics because, yeah, I would not want to spend the rest of my life feeling like I did the last couple weeks. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that you were feeling bad, but I'm glad that you're feeling better. It's uh, no fun to be off. Mm -hmm. Now that we've talked just briefly about uh, something really small that's affecting you in a negative way, (laughs) we should talk about something really big that's affecting you in a positive way. That Mm -hmm. uh, I said we haven't heard much from each other over the last few weeks, but what I have heard and what I have seen <laughs> relates to what you want to talk to, uh, what you want to talk about mm-hmm. today, which is James Webb is sending pictures. Yeah, finally. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, just a reminder. It launched Christmas Day last year, and it took about a month to get out to its to its orbit, out beyond uh, where the moon orbits, and. It took quite a bit of time to get all the mirrors aligned and all the instruments calibrated and that sort of thing. And finally, I think it's about two weeks ago now, they released the first batch of images from James Webb. They very carefully chose the images that they shot because they wanted to, for one, they wanted to have images that Hubble has taken pictures of, so there can be a side-by-side comparison with Hubble images. Okay. And... Also, they wanted some different types of targets, so they want ones that are relatively close of certain types of objects, ones that are further away. They wanted ones of stars, uh, nebula, galaxies, just kind of a a variety. Rather than just having a bunch of star photos, they wanted to have a variety of different objects to look at. So that's that's what they gave us, and uh, yeah, it's quite astonishing um, what you can see. And, you know, these are just the first images. It's not like they've been running this thing for years and have everything dialed in. This is just the first first batch of images. And uh, I think the uh, astronomers' socks were collectively knocked off when they saw them. (laughs) Now, you said that it's out past the moon. So James Webb is is orbiting the Earth? No, it's actually orbiting the sun. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just orbiting about a million miles further out. So the 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 Earth, I mean, its its distance from the sun varies over the course of the year because its orbit is elliptical, mm-hmm. not circular. But it's you know roughly ninety three million. That's what we all learned in elementary school. Yeah, ninety three million miles from the sun. So James Webb is about a million miles further away. So it's about ninety four million. Although obviously that changes throughout the year, but. Uh, it's it's actually orbiting the sun, not orbiting okay. the Earth. Okay, that's what I thought. But when you had said beyond the moon, then somehow I thought, well, maybe there, maybe it was going around the Earth, and I was mistaken. Yeah. So a million miles—that's a, a little bit of a distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have no idea how far away, uh, like some of the other planets are mm-hmm. from the Earth. So how much closer um, is the Earth, or? Is James Webb to the next planet, like between um, Earth and and Mars? Well, like it's headed that, yeah, yes. Would it be that direction? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, yeah. So it's further out. So the orbit of Mars is further out. I'm not sure how much further out the orbit of Mars is. The orbit of Mars is roughly 1.5 AU, 
which uh, 1.5 times the distance from the sun to the Earth. Uh. So it's it, it's a good bit further out to the orbit of Mars. Now, you're not saying... I've, uh, we talked about this before on... I'm not sure if this was uh, for what it's worth or looking over life, but the distance to Mars is constantly changing because Earth and Mars are constantly going around the sun. Mm-hmm. But and that's why I'm saying the the orbit of Mars because yeah. you know Mars could be on the other side of the sun like sure close to 200 million miles away right now. That makes sense. Wow. So tell me tell me a little bit about the photos that you're excited about. Yeah. Uh, where uh, this is an um <laughs> A auditory <laughs> medium, but we're going to talk about uh, visual stuff. So we're going to try to put these things into the show notes for uh, for the people to be able to see your access easily. Yeah, I'm guessing a lot of people have maybe seen these already. They were all over the news. But yeah, we'll go ahead and put some links in and uh, you can check them out as well. So I'm kind of going from roughly from closest object to furthest away picture. Um, The first one is called the Southern Ring Nebula, and it is just kind of this round, well, slightly oblong thing surrounded by clouds of dust. In the very center, there's this really bright star that is, it's throwing off. So uh, stars actually have a little bit of an atmosphere. They have layers of gas that make them up. And they get denser the farther in you go. Mm-hmm. So it's not quite like it's you know it's not like a planet where you have this hard surface. Uh, it's not quite that clearly defined. You have these layers of gas, and the further down you go, they get denser and hotter. Mm-hmm. As stars go through their life cycle, they eventually reach the point, and it's it's you know the dynamics of it are somewhat complicated, but they'll basically start ex- kind of almost exploding, not not blowing themselves to pieces, but they'll start kind of blowing off the outer layers of their atmosphere gas and dust, they'll kind of blow that out and it'll go out and cool down. And so that's what is happening here is there's a star in the center of this nebula that is throwing off all this gas and dust and it's speeding away really, really fast. Mm -hmm. Now, the middle of the image is kind of glowing and I think that is because the all the radiation, the energy from the star is actually making the gas in that area glow. Okay. And but then the outer layers of that are that are darker, those are kind of being lit up by the by the light from the star. So that's more dust, I think. But what's amazing about this picture is that if you look at the picture taken by Hubble, well, Hubble took a picture of this and we'll maybe try to put this in the show notes. It just looks like the the resolution, the detail within the, the gas clouds is simply not there with the Hubble image. It just looks blurry, and I think that's uh-huh. it's a pretty clear illustration of what we're getting going from Hubble to the James Webb, which James Webb is is more in the infrared spectrum versus visible, mm. and so there's just details and things that we can see in infrared that we simply cannot see in visible light. So yeah, it's it's really highlighting some of the advantages of James Webb. So the nebula part, is that the part like of the star that's disintegrating the cloud part that's around the image? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's nebula. So so a nebula is simply a cloud of, of gas, mm-hmm. uh, gas or dust. You know, sometimes it's thrown off by a star. Sometimes, you know, we'll maybe talk about this in the next image a little bit. It's just, a, yeah, pretty much any any area that has gas or dust is called a nebula. There's different types of nebula. So there's nebula that kind of block block light. There's other types of nebula that are glowing because the the atoms in the gas are, are getting so much energy pumped into them by the by the star that's nearby that they're glowing. So for instance the Orion Nebula, if anybody's ever seen the Orion Nebula, which you should if you can get a get a good telescope. Okay. Those those gases are glowing because of the stars in there. Then there are also types of nebula that are being lit up by the star, so they're they're just being illuminated by the star. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I have that right. Um, if there's anybody who's listening that is uh, screaming at their phone right now because of how off James is, <laughs> please let us know so we can correct it. But uh, it's it's been a while since I've studied some of this stuff dealing with astronomy, so I'm a little bit rusty. But yeah. I think that's right. Do you have any idea for for this Southern Ring Nebula, like what what 
distance away it might be or what um distance like that it's covering um you mm-hmm. know cuz i when i look at a picture like this it's hard for me to appreciate like how grand it is because it could also just yeah. be like a protozoa <laughs> yeah it just is kind of a blob yeah um so let me look here it says it's about 2500 light years from earth okay and it says that it's about half a light year in diameter wow. is what i'm finding here wow that is massive yeah yeah exactly um and i can't even remember what a light year is i'm thinking it's like three trillion <laughs> miles or something but i'm not uh, I'm probably wrong but uh yeah it's it's an incredible incredible distance it's astonishing there's even things that are that big right right exactly you know let alone distances between stars but they're actual structures that are that big and this isn't even that i mean this is pretty small in in the grand scale of things this is fairly fairly minuscule <laughs> so it's really hard to believe do we have another nebula up next then Yes, so the next one is the Carina Nebula, and this is the one that I think everybody really latched on to. I currently have it as my desktop background. Okay, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just um, just describing what it is. The bottom part of the photo is kind of this reddish-brownish cloud of, of gas and dust that you can see a lot of lists, like little filaments and details and things, and there's stars all through that. And then above that, there's, yeah, there again, it's some of those gases that are glowing, and some of them are glowing kind of in a blue color. Um, but sprinkled throughout that is these these stars that have these, these spikes coming off of them, uh, diffraction spikes, which is caused by the shape of the mirror. The, the, each mirror segment is hexagonal, mm-hmm. and so that means it has six sides. And for that reason, it causes these six-sided diffraction spikes. If you look at the Hubble images, you can quickly tell the difference between a Hubble image and a James Webb image because James Webb images, they have six diffraction spikes. Well, they have six large diffraction spikes and two small ones. If you look, you can actually see two smaller ones that are going uh, left to right. Uh-huh, yeah. But with, but, with, but with Hubble, because of the way there again, it was kind of the way the mirror was set up, it has four diffraction spikes instead uh-huh. of six. But okay. it's... Uh, it's kind of this this gas and dust and these cosmic jewels just kind of sprinkled across it. So it's it's quite stunning photograph. Yeah, it is. It's it's gorgeous. And and so this is a nebula. So this is coming off of one of the stars that we see in this photo or not? No. No. This is this is just gas and dust and I'm not sure where it's actually from specifically. But it's not like the other one where you have the star throwing off gas and dust. This mm-hmm. is just gas and dust that's just out in the universe. Mm-hmm. Where it's from exactly, I don't know, but that's just what it is. Incredible. And do you know if this would happen to be further away than uh, the Southern Ring Nebula? Yes, I think it is. Uh, it is It is about 7,500 light years away. Wow. And it's about... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, this is just a very small part of the actual full Carina Nebula. The full Carina Nebula is about 300 light years across. Nah. Uh, this is just a small part of it, and I think part of the reason they took a picture of it is because, here again, Hubble had taken a picture a while back, and so they... Uh, Wanted to compare some... Yeah, that's right. It, it's actually quite large in the visible uh, in the sky. I think you can maybe even see it. It's in the southern sky, so maybe you should go outside and see if you can. Okay. Um, it says the Carina Nebula is easily visible to the unaided eye, though at a distance of 7,500 years, it is five times farther away than the Orion Nebula. Hmm. I'll have to do some research to figure out where exactly in the sky it is and see if I can find it. Yeah. That would be a, an incredible comparison. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In in this image and in some of the other images, I have the same question which is are the colors that we see real you mentioned that uh james webb is working on infrared mm-hmm. so do they have some sort of system or program or something that's applying these colors or how does that happen 
Yeah, so that was something that so I listened to some podcasts. They were talking about this, and and somebody was wondering, you know, if I would go out um, X number of light years or miles away, would I be able to look out my spaceship and see <laughs> that? And the thing is, okay. you yeah. pr- probably can't. And some people get a little bit worked up about that. Well, these are fake, that sort of thing. Yeah. And yeah, they are in infrared, and so you can't really see what they're seeing. I think what they do is they take basically they take the actual color spectrum, so you know, red to blue, which is what's visible light, and they kind of map that onto infrared wavelengths. So the shorter wavelengths of infrared, they color red and orange. The shorter wavelengths that would be, you know, uh, blue is is shorter wavelengths than red. They color those infrared wavelengths that are shorter. They color those as more bluish, purple, violet colors. Okay. So I think they just basically take the visible spectrum and just move it down and map the different wavelengths of light to those specific colors. I don't know if it makes sense or not. Yeah, that makes sense. So do you think God can see an infrared? I think he can see in all the wavelengths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's, yeah, pe- people get worked up that, well, it's not visible light, it's not there. Well, it's there, our eyes just can't see it. And so yeah. these telescopes are basically giving us eyes that allow us to see it. Sure, you can manipulate it and make it way more vivid than than what it is, maybe. But I still think, I mean, it's it, it's not like they're completely making new photos. They're taking data and they're just making it to where it it looks it looks pleasing to the eye. So I mean those things are still there, they're out there, but mm-hmm. we just have to because they're not in wavelengths we can see, we have to adjust it so we can see it. And if you look at the Hubble images, you can see the Carina Nebula in visible wavelengths of light. And and there again, you, there's just things you can't see in visible. So with uh, um, if you uh, compare the two images side by side, and I'll see if maybe we can find a picture that compares them side by side. Mm-hmm. You can see with the James Webb because infrared is not blocked by gas and dust as much as visible light is. You can see a lot more detail in the clouds of the gas in the nebula, right? Because before that was obscured by gas and dust that was be you know in front of it, mm-hmm. but. In a sense, with infrared, we can kind of see through the gas and dust. We can see. So this this Carina Nebula, astronomers believe that it's a star-forming region. There are stars that are actually being formed in this region by pulling gas and dust together and, and then turning into stars. Before, we couldn't really see some of the stars that were inside the, the gas and dust clouds. But with James Webb, we can. So it allows us to see these, in a sense, young stars and uh, see what's going on there. Hmm. That's fascinating. So active creation or active evolution <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, there's there's some debate about, I think there's some creationists that don't believe that new stars are being created. Uh, I'm not, I mean, I haven't studied enough to really say what I believe, but uh, I'm just kind of relaying what astronomers say. Yeah, <laughs> sure. The next image you've given me looks like a group of jellyfish yeah so this is called so so here we're going much further out and this is called stephen's quintet and it is five galaxies that are in one photo or five galaxies that are relatively close so there's one galaxy um, kind of on the left hand side that you can see a lot more detail in you can almost see individual stars and that just so happens to be a galaxy that is between the four galaxies in the background and us. Okay, so it's clo- it's closer to us, the one on the left. Yes, that's right. You can you can actually see like individual little stars, like the it almost looks grainy instead of milky. Yeah, and that's because it's a lot closer. We can almost see the stars. So that's called Stephen's Quintet. And the the what's really amazing is the galaxies in the background. Um, there's two in the middle that are right beside each other, and they believe that these galaxies are in the process of actually passing through each other. Mm-hmm. Galaxies are made up of billions of stars, sometimes trillions of stars, but they're mostly empty space. And so you can have two galaxies can completely pass through each other without any sort of collision or anything. <laughs> so that's what's happening there. And so 
what is fascinating to astronomers is these galaxies are gravitationally interacting. So they're pulling on each other, stretching each other, and uh, yeah, there's just a lot of interesting stuff going on there. I don't have as much to say about this photo except for I was talking about, you know, th these are five galaxies that are relatively close. With almost every single James Webb image, if you look in the background, you see all these little dots and smears. Mm -hmm. Those are not stars. <laughs> Those are galaxies. And, and, and a galaxy, um, so like we're in the solar system, mm -hmm. but the solar system is just one star within a galaxy of a bazillion stars, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so whenever we're looking at a galaxy, we're looking at not a solar system, not a star, but like huge groups of stars that are trillions of, of miles mm -hmm. apart within that galaxy. Yeah, that's right. I'm not sure the distances between galaxies, but I think to our nearest galaxy, which is the Andromeda galaxy, we're several million light years, I believe, something like that. But you'll see here again, I was talking about the diffraction spikes. Mm -hmm. That's also a telltale sign if if what you're looking at is a galaxy or a star. So galaxies do not produce diffraction spikes. So you can see these very spiky, mm -hmm. bright spots. Yeah. Those are stars in the Milky Way. So we're looking we're looking past stars that are in the Milky Way toward these galaxies outside the Milky Way. Okay. Those those stars um, are actually in the Milky Way. They're relatively close. But like if you look in the background at all the little dots, which I don't currently have a full resolution picture in front of me, which I think the full resolution picture of Stephen's Quintet is something like 130 megabytes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's it's absolutely huge. So I did not drop that into uh, into our shared document. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that would probably break something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll link to the pages that have the full resolution if if you want to, uh, if those of you want to download them, which I tried um, using the full resolution picture of the Carina Nebula from my background at work, and it just didn't, like I tried to do it, and my computer just said, uh-uh, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> Too big. <laughs> so I had to... So I had to uh, do some some downscaling to make it still high resolution enough that it was nice and crisp, but it you know didn't uh, destroy my computer every time I looked at my desktop. Right. So yeah, just all those little dots in the background. If you look close enough, some of them you can even see almost like spiral structure. Mm -hmm. So those are just spiral galaxies, just way way in the distance. Amazing. One of the questions I have about the James Webb is if it's seeing new things or like farther away things yet. And I wonder if that answer comes from this uh, next photo that you have for us. So the next image is, uh, has a very catchy title or a catchy name. It's called S max zero seven, two, three. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is what is called a deep field. So a deep field is where, where the telescope is looking at a section of sky and it's trying to get as much detail from um, that section of sky. So Hubble did a number of deep fields, and it, it would look at one section of the sky. I think one of its first deep fields, it looked at a section of the sky that was, you know, about the size of like a grain of sand held on, held at arm's length as far as that's how much of the sky it was covering. And it just stared at that section of sky for days. Um, I'm not sure how many days exactly, but multiple days it looked at the same section of sky just getting in every every bit of light it could. And it was it was pointing at a section of the sky, the first deep field it did, I think, or at least the one that's famous. It was looking at a section of the sky that is relatively empty compared to other parts of the sky. So it was looking outside of the Milky Way, I believe, at a section of the sky that didn't have a lot of galaxies or relatively few galaxies. And what came back was an image that was almost nothing but galaxies. Okay. I think I saw some number like in that little image, like 10,000, 20,000 galaxies they estimated mm -hmm. in that single image, which is which is more stars than you can usually see in the night sky when you go out on a pretty dark night. I think uh, somewhere around 10,000 or so is about what you can see on a dark night. So that was, in, that was in a very small section of sky. That was all galaxies. So that, this is what... This image is, is James Webb is looking at a section of sky, and it's the same section of sky that Hubble looked at as well. Um, not in the famous Hubble deep field, but in another deep field 
that Hubble did. And it only took 12 and a half hours of exposure time to get this image, hmm. whereas I think it took maybe 10 days or something like that for Hubble to get a similar image. So it's doing it, you know, because it's so much bigger and it's so sensitive, it's able to take pictures much more quickly, which means, I mean, the great thing about that is that it allows astronomers to take a picture. You know, it doesn't take them a week and a half to take a picture. They can do it in half a day yeah. and move on to the next thing, take a picture. But yet what's coming back is just as good of quality or even better than what Hubble was doing. So that that productivity is really going to be incredible for scientists. Mm-hmm. So this particular image that James Webb took, uh, like I said, it's SMAX 0723, and I don't quite know what that means. It's just a designation of, of what they're looking at. It is a cluster of galaxies that's kind of in the middle. And it's taking a picture of the galaxies in the middle, but then it's a bunch of galaxies in the background. There's some really strange things going on in this image. I think, Sean, you had some questions about that. Yeah, I I see that some of the, what I'm assuming are galaxies, are like in, in streaks or in swirls, whereas mm-hmm. in the picture that we looked at before, they were more like dots. Yeah, so that's one of the most that, that's one of the things that stuck out to me as soon as I saw it and I got kind of excited. <laughs> so, yeah, it looks like somebody moved the camera when they were taking a picture or something. There's all these streaks and swirls in the image, but what's happening here is quite incredible. So, you have this this galaxy uh that this this supermassive cluster of galaxies in the foreground. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is this is of course millions upon millions of light years distant, but they're the ones that are the closest. And what's happening is all the light from the background galaxies is coming past these galaxies that are in the foreground. Now, Einstein's theory of relativity, which I won't get into too much because it's kind of complicated, but uh, basically it says that gravity, gravity is not a force, but it's actually a curvature in what's called space-time. Just to kind of break that down, what that means is the the force of gravity is kind of like if you take like a, a sheet of rubber mm-hmm. and take a steel ball bearing and put it in that sheet of rubber, it's going to bend bend the sheet of rubber down around it. I mean, can you visualize mm-hmm. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so then if you can imagine a, a beam of light, kind of like um, let's say a, a like a much smaller uh, BB or something that's going zipping past this this. Uh, steel ball bearing that's it's curving the sheet of rubber, if it goes relatively close to where that ball bearing is, what is it going to do to the ball bearing or to the that little BB? How, how is that ball bearing and the curve going to change the path of the BB that's zipping past it? So it's, it's going to make it curve, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's exactly what happens when light comes zipping past these galaxies, it actually causes the light to curve mm. and to curve in different ways. And so those those streaks and smears are caused by the gravity actually changing the path of the light and kind of stretching it and moving it in different ways. And if you look to the left-hand side, it's kind of at about 8 o'clock. If you're looking at kind of the center couple galaxies, there's two smears that look fairly symmetrical. Yeah, they believe that it that is the same galaxy, uh, the galaxy uh, because of the way the light was was curved, the galaxy uh, by the time the light came out the other side, it had been kind of split and is now showing up as two galaxies, even though it's one galaxy. Okay, yeah. And then um, at about twelve o'clock, one o'clock, uh, there's there's a galaxy in the foreground, and then there's this. It's 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 very clearly a galaxy that's kind of smeared and kind of curved around it. I don't know if you can see yeah, that. Yeah, like that orangish one. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. And so there again, the light from that galaxy is going past the foreground galaxy and getting curved and stretched and causing it to look like it's like it's been. It's kind of like a funhouse mirror. Yeah. If you've ever seen one of those, it makes yeah. you that's in a sense, that's kind of what's happening. Um, is it's kind of stretching and, and shifting the light to make it look like that. Wow, that's incredible. And so, the again, we're seeing some stars in the image. So that is this, uh, would that be part of the Milky Way that they're looking through maybe? Or maybe it's a different section? No, that would be, the yeah, pretty much anything that has diffraction spikes 
is close enough that it's a star. Um, so yeah, those there, there's one star in particular that's kind of in the middle that has these huge diffraction spikes mm-hmm. that cover almost half the picture. Yeah. So that is actually a star in the Milky Way that's it's in between. Okay. okay. Our view. Yeah, you were you were wondering about whether is there anything that James Webb has seen that Hubble hasn't seen, and you can see it in this photo here. Okay. So here again, uh, because it's it's an infrared telescope, they had to kind of map or, or shift the the color of the light to match um, what our eyes can actually see because we we can't see infrared. Yeah. So what you can do is you can look at the galaxies and you can see. The, the more red or orange they are, are ones that are further away. Okay. So there's there's one um, there's one kind of in the upper right-hand quadrant that's really red. Yeah. I'm guessing you can maybe see that. Yeah, yeah. That galaxy, if you, so if you look at the Hubble version of this image, that galaxy is simply not there. Okay. It's, it's just not there. Like if you flip back and forth, that galaxy just disappears in the Hubble image and pops out in the James Webb image. Huh. And there's a couple other of the much redder mm-hmm. galaxies that um, that totally disappear when you have Hubble and then pop back in when you have James Webb. Okay. The, the, thinking about the distance a little bit, will James Webb stay more or less at the same distance, or is it moving away from the Earth any it's staying at roughly the same distance. It's not really a constant distance. It's, yeah. it's it's a really strange orbit. Maybe, I don't know, if I remember and I get you the notes, we can maybe put a little explanation of what a Lagrange orbit is and what it looks like. There's some really neat animations mm-hmm. that show what James Webb orbits look uh, looks like. But, uh, yeah, it's staying at roughly the same distance from the sun, uh, from the Earth as well. Yeah, okay. You, you said that... Uh, Hubble and then now James Webb was looking at this particular uh, section of sky and mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out if I if I could even picture this properly it's looking away from the sun mm-hmm. but does it also look um, I'm not sure how to how to explain what I'm like space is not linear the spaces mm. all around and so did hubble and is james webb looking like in 360 degrees maybe that's my question yeah yeah so i'm not sure exactly where this is in relation to the sun see as we go around the sun that changes right so james webb i believe can basically look at the entire sky but it can't look at the entire sky at the same time right right because it has to keep, you know, that big sunshade we talked about in a previous episode. It has to keep that sunshade between the Earth, the sun, and you know the the telescope itself to try to mm-hmm. so that way it can it can it can see this infrared light. And so, depending on where it is, there's only certain parts of the sky it can see, and it, it can't tilt. But so far, because if it tilts too far, then it'll the the telescope will be in sunlight, and that's a big problem. But as it goes around the sun, what it couldn't see before, um, it'll be on the other side of the sun. And so now what was be, uh, like what was toward the sun is now away from the sun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I follow. Okay. And so um, scientists who are uh, lean toward the theory of, of evolution and the Big Bang mm-hmm. are one of the things that they're hoping to see is evidence of the Big Bang. Uh, with James Webb, and so that that would have to be they have some idea of where there is a center of everything. Is that is that right? Uh, no, not really. So I wouldn't say they're trying to find evidence of the Big Bang. I would say what they're trying to see is they're trying to find older. Uh, I say older. Uh, actually, younger galaxies. So because the the light travel, the the speed that light travels is a fixed amount. Mm-hmm. Like if we see something, so for instance, the closest star to us is about 4.3 light years away. And actually, Alpha Centaurus is in the southern sky. And I think you can see it with the naked eye. It's fairly, uh, a fairly bright star. Because it takes 4.3 light years for the light to get to you from 
that star, what you're seeing in essence happened 4.3 years ago. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so if Alpha Centauri would explode, you wouldn't see it for 4.3 years. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, then we start getting into uh, how many years ago it was and things like that. And creationists have different explanations for how we can be seeing, uh, you know, how we can have a young Earth, young, uh, young universe that's you know, six, you know, roughly six thousand years old, like the Bible would indicate, but yet we can be seeing light from galaxies that are millions, billions of years away. Yeah. But um, astronomers um, are able to, in a sense, measure the distance to these galaxies, or at least estimate the distances to these galaxies. And because some of these furthest away galaxies are you know, 13 point some billion years ago, we're seeing them, you know, they believe, we're seeing them as they were 13 billion years ago. Right. And the further away the galaxies are, uh, due to complicated reasons, I don't know if I've explained before or not, but the further away they are, the more into the infrared the galaxies are. They're more reddish. And at a certain point, you, you reach where, um, I think it's called the Hubble limit, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm not sure if that's the technical term. But basically, once galaxies get a certain distance away, Hubble simply can't see them because they're, they're too far into the infrared part of the spectrum that it can't see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Hub, uh, James Webb, because it can see more into the infrared, it allows it to see things that are further away, things that are more like that, that little galaxy I was talking about that pops into existence when you have James Webb. That galaxy is further away than all the other galaxies in this particular image. And so what they're hoping is they're hoping to see galaxies that are young, galaxies that they believe were forming hundreds of millions of years after the Big Bang, so relatively quickly after the Big Bang. Uh, that's what they're hoping to see. and But they're not planning to necessarily see like a smoking gun that says the Big Bang. Yeah, but they're, okay. they're just trying to find... They're trying to find younger galaxies that are, well, just like children. They're obviously not grown. They're they're trying to find that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, we could have a whole... <laughs> We could have a whole episode just talking about some of these things, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm afraid we've possibly gotten so technical that we've already lost some of our listeners by now. <laughs> anyway, yeah, thank you for those who have who have soldiered on. <laughs> I find it fascinating, partly to well, th- th- this whole all the images and everything is is incredibly, incredibly fascinating, and the the distances, it's you, I can't even comprehend the distances and so mm-hmm. to think about uh, i think about where scripture says that god knows all the stars and mm-hmm. uh, can call them by name whether he has a literal name for them or something like s max zero seven two uh two three or whatever it is <laughs> i don't i don't know maybe we'll find out sometime but it's just incredible to think of all that's in the mind of god and yet Mm -hmm. Um, he knows me and he sees me, whatever I might be going through, whether I have water or not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we're just so, we're just so very, very small in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. That's, that's what, that's what's most amazing to me. And especially this, there was, it was a while back, but they released kind of a, it wasn't a, an actual image. It was more of an image that they used to calibrate the mirrors, get them all lined up, and there was this star in the center that they were using to calibrate it, and that was kind of cool. It had these cool little spikes, but what was jaw-dropping to me was in the background, there were all these these galaxies, just galaxies upon galaxies, and there's even more here, and it's just, uh, like, it's, it's, it's almost something I don't want to think about too much because it just starts messing with my brain yeah (laughs) because um i mean the the solar system is just incredibly huge i mean we've only went man has only went two hundred and fifty thousand miles to the moon that's the furthest man has went so far yeah and we've sent a few space probes that have you know that have finally actually left the solar system which is just this tiny little thing i mean it's going to be something like ten thousand years until any of these space probes we've sent out will even come close to some of the closest stars 
And this is just like in our neighborhood. Like this is just down the block. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's even an inadequate comparison, I would say, in, in comparison to the whole universe. And I always think about in Genesis, there's this kind of, of course, I wouldn't say that there's any throwaway lines in Scripture, but it, it's it's almost a throwaway line. It says, and he made the stars also. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think about things like that, and it's, yeah, it's just incredible. Um, and to me, that's that's why I'm so fascinated with science. It's it's revealing the work of the creator and showing some of his attributes like his his omnipotence and what he can do because yeah it's uh it's, it's somewhat overwhelming how small we actually are and it's it's easy you know you're talking about astronomy you're talking about billions of years billions of light years it's it's easy to get kind of get worked up about well it's not billions of years it's whatever it's 6000 years and get all and to me, I mean, that, that, that is a good discussion to have, and I think we should have it. But to me, I just like focusing on what God has created and how amazing it is. And it just brings me to worship the Creator. Um, that's more what, what pictures like this bring me to rather than diving into debates about how far away something is or how old the universe is. Um, like I said, those are good questions, but to me that pales in comparison to just thinking about what is and what God has created. That's well said. Earlier you mentioned, James, that you thought these images, probably everyone has seen them already. I confess that this is not my, this is not my world. Um, <laughs> so I, the only images that I have seen are the ones that you've shared with me. Okay. And um, yeah, I probably won't, I don't know, maybe I'll stumble on them some other way, but unless you share them with me, this is <laughs> probably... Uh, going to be my only only source, mm-hmm. but I am really grateful that you did. I these are these are beautiful pictures. They're mind blowing pictures, and it, exactly what you said. It just makes me feel so small and makes God seem so much bigger. And also, I just feel a great sense of well gratefulness mm-hmm. that God loves me as much as He does. So thanks thanks for taking me along on on this short journey. (laughs) Sure. You're welcome.